Okay, our scripture lesson text coming from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to verse number 11. <coughs> Thank the Lord. Man. All right. If, if I can get a volunteer who can read verses, uh, verses 1 to 5, and, and then, yeah, we'll start off with verses 1 to 5. If I can get a volunteer reader for that, verses 1 to 5. Mm -hmm. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Speaking right, would you like to read uh, verses 6 to 11? Yeah, we'll go ahead and just read the thing. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, gentlemen, for reading those scriptures there. Amen. Forsaking all to follow him. You when I first looked at that first word, forsaking, you know, it kind of brought me back to memories of, of our of my marriage vows, you know. For Richard for poor and sickness and health, you know. Forsaking all others. <laughs> you know, you take this <laughs> woman to be your wife. You know, and when I looked at that, it was a, uh, it, you know, a lifelong commitment that I'm making before the people as unto the Lord. <coughs> and when I was reading the text, I noticed how forsaking all to follow him. And we know just as each and every day that we wake up, we know that certain things are going to capture our attention and want us to take our focus off God and follow other things. And we know that the devil, amen, he is so crafty and so, uh, you know, deceptive that he can make things look good, but behind it, he's got an evil intent. And that's one thing I try to teach my daughter. <laughs> she thinks that every, every opportunity she sees, now that she's got her degree and she done moved out the house, got her own apartment, everything she, she sees glitters, she thinks it's gold, you know, everything shining is silver, and... And lo and behold, the things behind all the glitter is not what it seems to be. And the same thing as I looked at this text, he says that, you know, when you forsake all others, you know, you want to forsake anything else that would distract you from taking your eyes off Jesus. And as the text was reading, and it came to pass, that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gisinerate. And saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. You know, it's funny that um, the people come to Jesus to hear the message, to hear the word. And, uh, and when he saw two ships, I said, uh, well, Lord, he must see an opportunity there that he can speak to the people from a better position to go out in the boat, you know, a little bit from the shore and he can have everyone focus upon him, and he's got better view of the people. And I was asking a question to myself. I said, well, Lord, knowing that Jesus can walk on water, why would he need a boat, you know? I said, Lord, he already walked on water, you know, saved the disciples from, from, from a drowning situation, and they thought they saw a ghost. And he says, no, it is I, you know, Jesus. And, you know, Peter was the first one to step out in the water, and Knowing, knowing Peter, <laughs> out of all occupations, Peter was a fisherman, and you know nobody can walk on water, you know. But Peter was the one, took the boldness to step out of the boat onto the water to meet Jesus. And so I was thinking, now, why would not Jesus do something very miraculous 
you know, and stand out there on the water and really captivate their attention and get the message through. And uh, just, just my little thinking here, I was thinking that if, if Jesus would have done that, right, it would have been, more focus would have been on the miracle less than the, less than the, the hearing of the message. And they would have said, look at him, you know, standing on water. But Jesus says, but did you hear the message? <laughs> because faith don't come by seeing. Faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So then Jesus is saying here, I'm going to get a ship, a little boat. I'm going to stand in it. I'm going to sit in it. And then I'm going to give a message. And I'm going to teach them a lesson about life, about things that's going on in their life. He's going to teach them a lesson. And so then when I was reading here, you see, he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. It's as if to say, even though you're fishing, you didn't catch anything, right? And I'm thinking, why are they still cleaning the nets, though they didn't catch nothing? Right? And I said, Lord, usually if they don't catch fish, okay, that's the reason to clean the nets. But they didn't catch anything, right? And so, but the, but the nets, reading the text at the lake of Jacinarat, it had a lot of weeds in there. So as they were throwing, you know, the net out to catch fish, you know, the two ends, you know, they all got weights on it, and then it kind of slowly, you know, descends down, and then they yank it up, and then they pull up some fish. And every time they pull down, you know, put out the fish net, and every time they kept pulling, they were pulling weeds and no fish. And so then, even though they didn't catch nothing, there was still a responsibility to clean the nets. You know, one thing I know for myself when I was growing up, I thought that cleaning the dishes, when my mom says, I want you to clean the kitchen, I'm thinking, just clean the dishes. She says, no, that means take the trash out, that means clean the counter, put the food away, wash the floor, and make sure everything looks nice. And I'm thinking, well, doing the dishes is, is doing, <laughs> doing the kitchen. And she says, no, everything else that falls along with the dishes comes along with it. So these guys were cleaning their nets. And just reading the text, I, was, I come to find out that Luke tells Jesus' first encounter with religious leaders when he, went, when he was 12 years old speaking in the public ministry. <clears throat> and then he meets John the Baptist in chapter 3, and then Satan's grueling temptation in chapter 4. Then Jesus began his ministry in Nazareth and was rejected by his own people. And after a time of ministry in Capernaum, he began to preach in the synagogues around Galilee. And he started gathering disciples, <coughs> excuse me, who would shout at him constantly and become prepared to carry out his ministry after his departure. And he chose men who were imperfect to carry out a holy message from Jesus. And I said, Lord, what an honor that Jesus would choose us, his earthen vessels, to get the word out to the people that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I said, well, we just celebrated Christmas, and the message that got out to the people that Jesus was born was the angels. <laughs> and they celebrated, right? And they, you know, and they said, yeah, the, 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 the king is born in Bethlehem, you know, and then the shepherds went to Bethlehem, and they saw, you know, this baby Jesus. And I said, well, how come we can't do it that way, Lord? Get our attention 
right? And have angels proclaim the good news. But it's good to know Jesus wants us to do it. And what an honor that we kind of take the job of what really angels should be doing. Because the primary duty of an angel, that they are messengers. They're the ones who get the message out from God. And I said, Lord, you could have did that. But he says, no, I got to come down and I got to make sure that what he does don't be overwhelming to us that we think that, Lord, surely you don't want me to preach the gospel. Surely you don't want me to let my light shine. Surely, Lord, you don't want me to let the people know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Look at all of the wrong and the sinfulness, oh God, that I've done. And God says, you're the perfect candidate <laughs> to get the message out. You're the one, amen, who already see my shortcomings. And God says, I can use that as a testimony of where I brought you from to where you are now to preach the word and get the message out. And the message, amen, is that your testimony is the message of Jesus Christ. No one can take that from you. What God has done in your life, that is your personal testimony. And can't nobody take that away. Angels, amen, you notice in, in, in when they were coming, they come and go. <laughs> Once the message has been sent, then they check out. <laughs> but God said, I need someone here that's going to be here to keep the message going year after year, day after day, week after week, minute by minute. And we are the ones here on earth to do that. So as the Lord Jesus is going to be choosing marketedly imperfect people to get the message out. And then in verse number three, it says, and he entered into one of the ships, <coughs> which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets. Now, he's given Peter instructions two times. First, he's on the ship. He says, could you go out a little further from the shore so that he can teach the people? And now after the message has been gone out, then he tells Peter, um, I need you to go out a little bit further because there's some fish out there. They're, they're there now, but they weren't there when you were fishing. <laughs> and now I can just picture in my mind, like, Lord, you want me to go out there again? Lord, we done been out here longer than you've been here on the ship. And, we, and our occupation is fishing. And I don't see you out here with your boat, with your net, fishing, amen. But you're going to tell us to go out a little bit further. And as we read the text, you know, Peter says, <laughs> he says, nevertheless, okay, verse number five. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Catch that. Singular, one net. Now, as I was reading this text, I noticed that Peter is kind of giving Jesus, here's the reason why I, don't, I really don't feel like going out there. <laughs> because uh, I have nothing to show that I've been out here all these many hours, and I'm going to go home empty. And I hate to go out a little bit further drop some nets that we just cleaned, right? And now you want me to mess them all over again, hoping to catch fish. But Peter had to catch himself, and he says, nevertheless, 
at thy word, I'm going to do it. So he was really doing it reluctantly, not really expecting anything to come, right? And sometimes it's almost the same way how we kind of experience life, right? Sometimes, Lord, I'm waiting in line, right, <laughs> to get some groceries, and then all of a sudden, you know, there's like a delay, right? And all of a sudden, you know, I'm looking up front, and the person has got this price item that don't have a price tag on it, right? It don't have no, no, no code on it. Now you got to wait, you know, for them to get it. And all of a sudden, there's a line opening over here, right? <laughs> and the person goes, you know, I have a line open over here. And as soon as you make it over there, like five people get in front of you, right? And then you're like, you know, the sixth person waiting in line. Now I got to wait longer <laughs> for the same thing I came to pay for, right? And God said, and I'm going, Lord, why am I even here in line? And God said, I'm using you as a spectacle. This is your opportunity to let your light shine. While you're waiting in line, Lord, I could have done that, you know, doing something else. And God is saying, why not? Since I don't want to go witnessing, you might as well witness as you go. <laughs> so while you're in line, you're getting something, amen, let your light shine then. And I said, Lord, I really don't feel like it, but Lord, I'm going to do it anyway, right? And lo and behold, when I got to the register at, at the commissary, <laughs> A lady was experiencing uh, something, you know, she didn't tell me specifically, but she was going that she was having a hard time during this holiday season. And we know this is a time when people kind of get depressed and, you know, they kind of take lives and things and matters in their own hands and not knowing who it is, that, you know, that I'm talking to that might be going through something. You know, and she kind of shared with me, you know, asked her some questions and I told her about, you know, about my life and the goodness of the Lord. And she says, you know what, you made my day. And I was thinking, I said, well, ma'am, I am rejoicing with you for the upcoming New Year's so we have a godly expectation of what he's going to do. Well, she goes, I am so glad you came in my line. Well, amen, I'm glad too, right? So I left. And God says, that's why you waited in both lines <laughs> to get the same product because somebody needed, amen, to hear a word from the Lord, right? And so God says, just that quick, you know, she could have been at a pivoting point in her life to where she could have made a decision to say, I'm checking out, you know. And here you come. God's going to bring a inconvenience you to get the word to somebody, right? And all the while I'm thinking, Lord, everybody else is in here. It was busy shopping. Lord, they want to get in and get out. And that's the same thing I want to do, get in and get out. And God says, well, on your way to the store, not knowing there's a soul that's going to be depending on the words of your mouth. But I don't know it. I'm just going to, I'm going to pick up some cranberry sauce. That's all I'm going to get. That's it, right? And God says, well, through the cranberry sauce, that's going to be your testimony to witness to a person that needs to hear the message from God. So I said, okay, Lord, you're going to inconvenience me to bless a soul. And so I said, well, Lord, at thy word. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to give a person an encouraging word. And in doing so, right, God says there, amen, you're going to meet the person's need. And then in verse number six, it says, and when they had done this, had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. Now, when I saw this, <coughs> I'm saying now, 
when I look at the text, you can see what was coming first. Jesus teaching the people, right? And as Jesus was teaching the people, the people had to hear the message. And then when people hear the message, there was some obedience behind it. In other words, don't just be hearers of the word. You want to be doers of the word also. So they heard the message, right? Then all of a sudden, they're hearing Jesus speak. Now that there's some obedience that's going to take place, and the next thing is a miracle. And I was looking at that pattern in the text, and God says, since you went out there all hours of the night at your own strength and your own volition and didn't catch nothing, now I'm asking to go a little bit further into the deep because there's a blessing out there for you. Now, and God even tells us in the text, he says, when you go out, there's going to be a huge drought out there of fish, right? And all of a sudden, Peter's thinking, wait a minute now, you just got here. <laughs> How do you know that there's fish out there and me and other brothers, we've been out here all night till the morning hours and you're going to tell us what's out there? And we've been here all hours of the day. And it's so uniquely how God, right, when he does things, some things, sometimes he does things very quickly. Some things, amen, don't have to be all year or six months or five months. Some things can happen in the moment. And when I was reading it, I reminds me of Galatians 6 when, um, when Paul was writing, what, be ye not weary of well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. And when I read that text, I'm thinking, okay, I'm thinking that like, that sounds like maybe two weeks, three weeks. I'm not going to faint, and maybe I'll see something. But here in the text, it's like it happened almost within the same minute. Do what I ask you to do, and your obedience is better than sacrifice. So look what Peter does. He does it reluctantly, and listen, God blesses him anyway. And the blessing was so much, it began to break the net. Now, that lets me know something right there. That, Lord, you even said in Malachi chapter 3, you said, I will bless you that you do not have room enough to receive. God, Jesus, blessed Peter that, listen, he did not have enough nets to receive the blessing. And God is demonstrating something here that even though I taught a lesson and you heard the lesson, when you execute the lesson, there's going to be a blessing behind it. But one thing that always happens that God don't gives us a time frame like it's going to happen in the next five minutes, like it's going to happen in the next hour. It's going to happen next week. No, he just wants to see, are you going to follow me by obedience regardless of what's out there. If, like, if God's got to put a carrot in front of us and we run after the carrot, and guess what? We never get to it. <laughs> but God says, I'm going to put the word in you so that when you speak, you know what you're doing? You're indirectly encouraging yourself. So when I'm encouraging the lady at the register, I am indirectly encouraging myself. And I said, Lord, what an honor that you give me your word to treasure in, to carry out a minister to one person at the cash register, right? And bless them that, Lord, indirectly, it blessed me. <laughs> so I saw here, teaching, hearing, obeying, and here comes the miracle. 
And then in verse number 7, it says, And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ships, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships. Listen, so much so that they began to sink. I said, Lord, you're blessing us so much that, Lord, we can't even handle it. That, Lord, now the blessing is almost risking our lives. We're going to be, we're going to drown out here, right? But when you look at the text, the blessing was not just for Peter. <laughs> it was also for John and Thomas and everybody else who was helping him. So he says there, the blessing that I'm going to give you, not only do you do not have room enough to receive, listen, you do not have strength enough to receive. You got to call upon everybody else to partake in the blessing. Now, what if Peter would have said, you know what, Jesus, I really don't feel like it today. Um, I tell you what, kept, catch me on the flip side, you know, the next morning, and maybe they'll fish be here, right? And his disobedience would have nullified everybody else from getting their blessing. And so when we think disobedience, I'm going to do wrong, it's going to hinder me. God says, no way, you're hindering other people that's in front of you and behind you, right? You know, one time, um, you know, some people, some of us, we remember Pastor Freeman. And, uh, you know, when I came to RBC, he signed me up for this course, and, and, and I really didn't feel like taking it. <laughs> but Pastor Freeman has a way of kind of letting you know, Minister Nedrick, if you don't do this thing, guess what? Everybody else is watching you. I'm going... <laughs> Pastor Freeman, we got 12 other preachers in here. Why they got to be watching me, right? And so he painted an analogy. He says that just imagine that you are in the bloodline in the body of Christ. You're in the body of Christ. And let's say you're flowing into the bloodline and an opportunity comes. And you say, no, I don't want it. You now become a blood clot in the vein from preventing everybody else to get to where the blood's supposed to flow to. And so then when you stop growing, you right there become a hindrance for everybody else who's trying to get to the same destination. So when you say no, you now become a blood clot. And then Pastor Freeman says, and guess what happens? You look fine on the outside, but inside you're hemorrhaging, you're bleeding within, you're dying, but yet you're telling everybody else, I'm fine, when you're really suffering. And so when he painted that picture, I said, okay, sign me up for the class. Then. Sign, I don't want to be the cause for the body of Christ dying, you know. <laughs> you know but, but when he painted that analogy, amen, he says, we are the lifeline in the body of Christ to let people know that Jesus Christ is alive. And when we are in the body of Christ, we are to represent him and less of us. So when the blood of Jesus is still alive in the body, it's alive in us. So when he says grow, amen, in order to grow, you got to go. <laughs> don't stop and say, no, I don't want this opportunity. No, there's a reason why you've been given this opportunity to not become a blood clot. You want to flow in the body of Christ. So he says here, amen, and they began to sink. And when 
Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So I was reading, and it came up that Lord Peter came to a point of confession. That, Lord, I really didn't want to do it, but I did it anyway, and you still blessed me, even though I did it in a reluctant mode, you still gave the blessing anyway. And then Peter comes to the point and say, Lord, even though you blessed me and I really did not deserve it, Lord, when he says, Lord, when he says, depart from me, he says, Lord, you should be in a person who's got a better presence. My presence right now is not good enough for you. And you know what? I am a sinful man. In other words, I have come short of the glory of God. And then what happens? And then Jesus comes and he says right behind him, he says, for he was astonished and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, sons of Zebedee, which were partners of Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, what? Fear not. I hear you. I understand where you're coming from, Peter. But Peter, don't use this time to run from me in fear. Stay where you are. There's much more where that came from. <laughs> and the point that I'm trying to make is I want you to become fishers of men and not just fish in the ocean. So he says here, fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch man. And I said, Lord, you just changed his whole appetite. <laughs> You're changing it from physical fish to now men in the symbol of fish. So he says, you may use the same tactics as you would to get fish, but now I want you to use those on a spiritual sense to catch men. So not only did he change his appetite, <laughs> gave him a whole change in his occupation. <laughs> I'm not fishing no more. Now for fish, I'm going to be fishing for souls. And it's funny here, whenever I read, I hear a story about a person going to fish, they always got to have a certain bait. And there's certain baits that they put out in the lake that catches the attention of the fish. And it lures them to bite on the hook, <coughs> to take the bite on the hook so you can catch the fish. And God says the same way, the tactic, amen, that you use to catch, you know, fish in the ocean, I need you to apply that spiritually to draw and to be fishers of men. And I'm reminded in the, in the evangelism process, and um, it's kind of the process that I, that I teach <laughs> in 101. It says we are to become fishers of men. And we break down Mark 1.17, you know. And Jesus said unto them, come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And the text is, he says, come unto me is the prerequisite. I will make you to become is the process. Fishes of men is the product. And God is saying that, man, we are the ones to become fishers of men. Even though you, I'm going to the gas station just to get some gas. God says, I still need you to have your light on and to draw them closer to you because of me. Whenever you go out, amen, to a function, I still want you to let your light shine. That's the bait 
that's going to draw people to you so you become fishers of men. So wherever we go, amen, we ought to be a light that's going to draw people to say, man, what is it about you that make you tick? Man, there's something very unique about you, and I've been noticing you for quite some time, you know, and there are some people who are watching our lives and not knowing, amen, that one day when they need something, guess who they're going to come to? <laughs> they're going to come to the person who they see Jesus through. And when they see you, amen, you're like the bait that God put you in that atmosphere and they're going to get the hook, bite into you, and you're going to introduce them to Jesus. They say, man, this is why my life is so-and-so. This is why we have the joy of the Lord that's our strength. This is why, amen, I come to celebrate Jesus even though there's chaos all around you. But you got a peace that surpasses all understanding that shall keep our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. So he goes on to say, <clears throat> And when they had drawn their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Now, forsaking all others, that means that now, amen, I'm, I'm putting myself in Peter's shoes. Amen. <laughs> I can see myself saying, Honey, I got a different job now. And my wife is going, Great, I wonder what it is. Uh, I'm going to become fishers of men. What? <laughs> what kind of money does that bring in to, to sustain the family? <laughs> going, well, well, honey, I, I heard the call from Jesus, and, 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 and I heard his voice, and, and uh, he said, yeah, we're going to give up fishing physically in, in the lake. Now he wants, to be, he wants me to become fishers of men, you know, and now your wife has got to be convinced to believe you that if this calling is from Jesus, they want to see some evidence. <laughs> In other words, when payday come, payday better come to where I can support the family, right? <laughs> but what God calls you onto, amen, he will make sure that your need is provided. He shall meet all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So that means that Lord, you demonstrated on how you can bless just by catching fish. God is saying, man, there's more where that came from. Stick with me and I'll show you, amen, where you can produce and gather fish in his name. So when I looked at this, amen, it's almost like we are fulfilling the mandate of the church. Matthew 28, 19 to 20, where he says, go. Ye therefore, amen, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world, amen. Now he's drawing us, amen, to fulfill the mandate of the church. And when we do that, we take on the whole arm of what it means. That means, Lord, even though I'm going to my physical work, I'm still a fishers of men spiritually. So even though I got a physical occupation, I go into work, amen, Monday through Friday, but God says, yes, but now you have a spiritual occupation. And guess what? Your physical occupation, what job that you're in, it can be changed, it can be shut down, you can get fired and released from it, 
But when you become a spiritual employee for Jesus, that never runs out. Jesus don't never have government cutbacks. <laughs> Jesus' my well is always running over, and by demonstration, I just proved it to you that you labored all night long, and you caught nothing. But when you took the obedience of Jesus Christ, now you got more that you don't even have room or the strength to receive. Now, to receive a blessing is like the breaking of the nets, right? I know, you know as, as, as Deacon you know, Gibbs comes in, uh, he's, he's a, one of our financial counselors. It just reminds me that, man, if I had a bank account and God blessed me so much that that bank account could not hold all the money, amen, that's in, I had to open up another bank account, right? And then all of a sudden God says, I'm going to fill that one up too. And I can say, well, Lord, I got too much. And God says, well, call upon others so they can partake in the blessing. So it's not just for you. It's to flow through you. So I'm not going to pocket it and try to keep it for myself. And God says, matter of fact, if I bless you more, we ought to be blessing others more. It don't have to be financially. Amen. It could just be going to the commissary waiting in one line, and the line is clogged up. The person don't have the price code on the thing. Now you got to wait. And all of a sudden, the cashier says, I got another line open over here. And by the time you get there, five other people get in front of you, right? And I said, Lord, why am I even here? I just came to get a can of cranberry sauce, right? And lo and behold, as I told you before, the lady at the register was going through something in her life. And God says, I'm going to use cranberry sauce for you to come out of your house almost, what, six miles away from the commissary, and you're going to drop a word in a person's soul, right? And the whole time, that's not going through my mind. My mind is like, Lord, how come Sister Nedry didn't have this on the list? <laughs> you know, my mind is, Lord, how come, you know, i got to get out there again and deal with folk in line, Lord, just to get a can of cranberry sauce. And God said, I'm going to use that one can to be a witness, to drop a golden nugget in that person's soul who's going through something that you have no clue of. But God happened to cause you to bless that person, amen, and to bless them that they could say, you know what? You just made my day. And the Lord says, that's all I want you to do. And I said, but Lord, you could have sent them to church to get that. <laughs> you know, Lord, Lord, they could have heard a message on the radio to get that, you know. But God says, I want to send a human vessel, a person who can speak to them eye to eye, face to face, close to close, and give them the word of God, right? Now, Jesus, he's on the boat, right? That not only that they can hear him, they can single him out, they can see him. And God is saying the same thing. When I send you to the store, yeah, it could be getting, you know, you know a quart of eggnog or something like that. But God says, you don't know who you're passing by in that grocery store. And yes, I purposely didn't put it on Sister Nedrick's list because there's a person at the cash register that's going to need a word from God. So whenever all this is happening, I got to say to myself, Lord, what are you saying out of this? Right. And this is a true, you know, a true story. Uh, just last night, we had all of our family members. My wife's family has flew in and they drove in just to have Jima, you know, give her a wonderful Christmas and a New Year's celebration. 
and then my and then my mother-in-law, you know, she was saying this is like one of the first times that she could meet all her family members and it does not have to be a funeral. And she was so happy that everybody came. And so when they came, right, guess what? You know, we're cooking everything else, and the brother brought over a deep-fried turkey, and, man, we were eating large, right? All of a sudden, it came time to put the leftovers in the refrigerator, and then Sister Nedrick notices the refrigerator is not working. I said, no way. <laughs> and she says, yeah. So then I open up the freezer. Okay, the freezer's working, right? Then I get to the refrigerator, open it up, and the light's on, right? I said, okay. It's working. No, it's not working. So I put my hand back in the fan, and nothing was coming out. And so at the minute that happened, I said, Lord, what are you saying in this? So I pulled the refrigerator out. I looked back there. You know, I got my little tablet, clicked on YouTube, <laughs> Kenmore Refrigerator Elite, you know, and it gives you all the breakdowns of what's wrong with it. And I looked back there, and lo and behold, it was the compressor. You know, the, the compressor just burnt out. And I said, Lord, okay, Lord. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, that's going to be at least at least five, six, eight hundred dollars, you know, for, for a refrigerator. And, and, and as I'm going through this in my mind, God says, I'm using that to do something. I don't know what it's for, but God knows I have to go out and seek either a repairman or get a new refrigerator. Either one, God says, I'm putting the soul in your hands, in your presence, and I want you to bless them. So God says, think beyond the broken refrigerator. I'm using the refrigerator for something. And guess what? If once I obey him like Peter did, Lord, at thy word, oh God, I'm going to call the repairman first just to give me a free estimate of how much it's going to cost. And if it costs more than what I think it is, well, Lord, you must mean it might be time to get a new one, right? And God says, either way it goes, there's a person that needs to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. And if God's got to use a broken refrigerator or even a can of cranberry sauce that's not on the list, God says, I'm going to use any means necessary to get my word out there. So, Lord, do what you got to do, oh God, and bless the folk. But, Lord... There's about, there's about, you know, 3,000 other people that go to RBC got the same message. Lord, how can you ain't using them? <laughs> and God said, I'm choosing you. Amen. And I was reading this. It was one simple statement. Four fishermen are named in these verses, and all of them were astonished by the miracle Jesus performed. But Peter was evidently the leader of this group, because the others were referred to as partners. The awesomeness of the miracle must have caused some kind of fearful panic among them too, because Jesus' first words was, fear not, don't be afraid. He had not performed the miracle to cow them into abject servility. Despite Peter's request, Jesus did not leave them, but Peter had to recognize his sinfulness. Even though God blessed him, still sinning in doubt, God still rewarded him. Because your blessing was not just for you, Peter, it's for everybody else. You can't eat all this fish by yourself. Guess what, amen? The entire village can eat off of this. But just through your one step of obedience that says, Lord, at thy word, 
I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to go forth and get that thing that, Lord, even though the refrigerator may be partially broken, Lord, through you, you're going to get it fixed. And Lord, to whatever way it goes, to God be the glory. And then I have to think that way and not think that, Lord, that's going to put me another $800 in debt. Or, Lord, my account was looking like this. Now it's going to look like this. And God says, go beyond the numbers in your account. You are a fisher of men. And if I got to use a broken refrigerator to get one soul in, so be it, right? On the day of my final exam, in the evangelism process, I dropped my daughter and my son off to their, to their practice. On the way of 1604, coming back to RBC to take my final exam, and I get a flat tire. I said, Lord, I get a flat tire. Like, Lord, what are you saying in there? <laughs> right? So, and I'm driving the SUV. So it's not just an easy sedan or some compact. Man, you got to get out, you know, get the jack, you know, and, and, and I'm not dressed for the occasion <laughs> anyway, right? So I'm taking my jacket off and I'm jacking up the car. And, you know, and when cars pass you, there's this breeze that just almost want to, you know, knock the car over. Everyone's flying on that road, right? And so I'm getting out here. And God says, play gospel music in your car loud enough so you can hear it through all the traffic. I said, okay, Lord. So I put the gospel music on. Now my mind is on him and not so much on the chore. So now I'm doing the chore with like a joy. I got song in my heart, Lord. I'm doing it, man. Okay. I got the tire changed. And all of a sudden, uh, Deacon Clay, we're taking the same class together. He, he texts me. He goes, Mike, where are you? And so I took a picture of the flat tire with the jack. And I said, show the professor in the class that I'm going to be late. And he says, okay. So he shows the professor. And he goes, okay, Minister Nedrick, okay, we're going to give you some grace period. Whenever you're ready, just come after you change the tire, right? So I end up, you know, changing the tire. I get in the car. And while I'm driving, right, to take my final exam, Jesus says, now you're ready for your final exam. <laughs> oh, my gosh, Lord. <laughs> and God says, all the while... While I was changing my tire, amen, people were watching you. And there were like, maybe like a hundred people driving on that road, and they were watching you changing your tire. <coughs> and you were not grumpy getting angry. You had a smile on your face. You had like a pep in your step, doing it with the joy of the Lord. And I said, well, God, you could have sent them to a church to get all of that. Why you got to send me to here get a flat tire? I got to take a final exam, Lord. And, Lord, my mind is not on. Now I got to change the tire. And God says, after all of that, you let your light shine for me. Okay, now you're ready for the final exam. So I get in there. <coughs> I sit down. And he started, you know, you know, making fun of me. You know, you know, Mr. Ned, you got a flat tire. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. He just didn't want to take the final exam. That's all that was, right? So I get in there, pass the final, right? And then, and, and God says, whatever I do in a Christian's life, it's not to depress you. It's really to encourage you to encourage somebody else. And I got to keep that mindset each and every day. And when I do that, amen, not knowing folk are watching you. And when they can watch you, they're looking for a pattern in your life to where is he, was he say he is, or is he just like everybody else? You go up, you're a Christian, and then come down, or you're not. Then you go back up, you're a Christian, or come back down, then you're not. Or is there a steady flow of God in your life that you don't want to come a blood clot, 
You want to become a part of God. You are flowing in the body of Christ. Amen. Keep it on here. All right. <clears throat> All right. Jesus now saw in Peter exactly what he wanted in his disciples. Everything that had happened led to this moment when Jesus called him into his work. Peter was not the only one caught at this time, but Luke's focus was on him. But in the book of Acts shows that Peter played a pivotal role in the beginning of spreading the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. And on that day of Pentecost, it established the growth of the early church. Peter soon rose to a role of leadership among the disciples and later, amen, decisive and extensive influence in the church that was matched only by the Apostle Paul. Jesus' call was for Peter to leave fishing to seek out other followers of Christ. He and his partners landed their post on shore, left their occupation behind, and became followers of Jesus for the rest of their lives. Their recognition of Jesus' identity through this miracle changed everything. Now guess what? Just that one miracle that happened in Peter's life, it was the pivotal point of the Christian world. We are still reading about him today just by his act of reluctantly obeying Jesus, and Jesus still blessed him anyway. We're reading this text for us now to encourage us. So what Peter did, amen, a pivotal point in his life is a pivotal point in our lives. It is effective to this day. So when we say, Lord, I'm a Christian, Lord, so be it. Finally, <clears throat> in closing, hallelujah. See how radical a change Jesus would make in the lives of those who love him and follow him. Now, we're, we're reminded about, you know, Vision 2020, we're, and we're coming up to 2020. This is the last Sunday, not of the year only, but of the decade. We're about to go into a new whole entire season, right? And God was kind of pivoting that. You don't have to wait for the new year to have a wonderful pivotal season. It can start right now. God said, I'm not really moved by the calendars of the world because God don't deal in time. We deal in time. God says, amen, a pivotal moment can happen now in your life before the new year even comes. And guess what? When you fulfill it and experience it now, everybody in the new year trying to catch up to you because you're already there. So he says, I pivot, amen, not in time of the calendar. I pivot, I pivot amen, in the, in the soul and in the lives of men. So he says what? Seek ye first. Everything that, you, that, that we hear now is going to be on vision because it's 2020. You know, you're going to hear you know, a lot of things about seeking the Lord first. Everything, you know, keeping your eyes on Jesus. You know, we're going to see, don't be deceived by the things that you see, but the things that, that you don't see are everlasting. We're going to hear all those kind of sermons, right? And when we do that, he's going to say, always keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't care what happens. Don't care if you have a broken refrigerator <laughs> and I got to go to home right after this and I got to get it fixed. God says, keep your eyes on Jesus. 
There's a blessing in this. And I don't see it right now. But he says, don't be wary in well-doing. <laughs> for in due season, <laughs> Brother Nedra's going to reap because he faints not. And in that, I close in Jesus' name and amen. <laughs>